You guys have heard me talk about before, if you've been here or listened to our podcast and stuff, that John 1 is our Genesis. And that Genesis 1 and John 1 are, are basically, they overlap each other. They say the exact same thing. You know, Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. So in the beginning, there was God and he was creating things. He created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And dark was, darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be lights. And he saw that the light was good and he divided it from the darkness. You know, This is our first four verses of Genesis. But it is also our Genesis in Christianity. The Apostle John, the closest to the Lord. The one who saw him in heaven. While he was on Patmos, got you know, translator or, or you know, had a revelatory connection, visitation. He got caught up into the heavens and saw Jesus, calls himself the I Am. He comes back and he writes John 1. In my professional opinion, that's the order that it went. And he comes back with the same exact intention of Genesis 1. And he says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and by the way, the Word was God. And he's saying, hey, this guy is God. Jesus is God. That's one of my favorite things to say, even that sentence. Because it is so... So many don't believe this reality, even in Christianity. And everyone's like, you look at me like, huh? Like, what are you talking about? Like, so many people don't have the understanding. We, we put Jesus in this box of, like, little G, junior. You know, junior version of God, the little G. But Jesus is... Like he tells the Pharisees before Abraham was, what did he say? Yeah, participate, it's cool. I am, you know, I am. You know, he comes and he, and he says these things. When he was walking on the water and the disciples were like, it's a ghost. They're freaking out about him, kind of walking across. What did he say? It's okay. I am. That was the phrase he used. You know what I mean? So, so he's dropping these Easter eggs all along, but the rulers of this world never knew who he truly was or they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. And so John's coming back and he's, and he, and he's starting a new Genesis or, he, or he's commentating on Genesis and he says, in the beginning was the Word, just like it says, in the beginning God created. He's saying, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and he was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him, Nothing was made that was made. What did he just call Jesus? The creator. He was God and he was with God somehow. How's this work? But also, all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So there's your Genesis 1. In the beginning was, was God and he created the heavens and the earth. Here's, here's our Genesis 1 in Christianity, our, our 2.0. It was Jesus. All things were made through him. In him was life, and his life was the light of men. Interesting, because that's the very next portion of Genesis 1, isn't it? He said what? Let there... Yeah, man. And he saw that the light was good, and he divided the light from the darkness. So John says, in him was life, and his light was the light, and the light shines in the darkness. Yet the darkness does not overcome it. It does not comprehend it. It didn't recognize it. So here we have this, this apostle who laid on Jesus, you know, and he was the closest to him, and he's saying, hey, by the way, he's not little G. This is him. You know, 
This is him. And see, I, what I was going to do starting in uh, Hebrews, because I, I like that as well, Hebrews is saying the same thing, just nobody knows who wrote Hebrews. There's theories and stuff like that, but it kind of starts in this, with the same kind of pointed agenda. Hebrews, in my opinion, it's up there with Colossians, is one of the most mystical books in the entire New Testament. It's so profoundly mystical. It literally starts out talking about our ancestors in this walk. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, to our ancestors by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in a son. Now, your new King James will be by his son, but that's not really how it says. But it's like he's spoken to us in, in the language of son whom he has appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made all of the worlds. Man, that sounds, that sounds similar to John 1, doesn't it? He's, this author's talking about Jesus being creator from the jump, just like John did, and just like Genesis did. And it's, it is, it's interesting to me, because Hebrews, like I said, it's the most mystical. He's talking about the the ancestors, those who have gone before us. If, you, if you've read, read through Hebrews, then you have like the hall of faith, all these people. And then you have like Hebrews 12, which is like, hey, these people, the cloud of witnesses surround us. There's an eternal realm that can actually see down here, in here, or whatever that looks like. You know what I mean? Hebrews 12, it literally goes on to say, hey, you haven't come to some religion, some rules and regulations, to a mountain that could be touched with burn with smoke. You've actually come to Mount Zion. You are on this interdimensional life now as a Christian who's abiding in heaven and, and ushering heaven into the earth. Like, don't be like Esau. That's my paraphrase of, of Hebrews 12. It's a lot longer than that. But that's basically what he's saying. Hebrews 13 is like, don't neglect to entertain strangers in this life, by the way, because many entertain angels without knowing it. Like, Hebrews is just, it's just so far out there. But it starts off with the same roots that John started off as. He, he was appointed heir of all things. I think I'm going to read the ESV instead of the King James, even though it's easier for me. He was the appointed heir of all things through whom he also created the worlds. Uh, the Aramaic trans translation always like, says universes, and I just think that sounds so very cool. The universes? Like, what is this, a Star Trek book or something? You know? Verse 3, it says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, uphold, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And it's just like, this guy that we think is little G sometimes in, in, in American Christianity and probably in the world Christianity, because it's pretty much all the same. God has spoken to us in the language of son, of his son, the word, who's purged our sins, but this person actually is the creator and he upholds all things by the word of his power. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. It goes on if you just read Hebrews, which might actually connect today, because he starts to talk about angels. To which, to which of the angels did he ever say? And he's, and he's articulating that Jesus is actually greater than the angels, the son is. He goes on in verse 8 and says, but to the son he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness it's like this son is actually god whose throne is going to be eternal so it's the same kind of 
I don't know what quagmire means, but that's the word that comes to my mind. It's the same kind of quagmire that we're trying to put together, this son who's the word but also is God and was with God from the beginning and also is the creator. You know. But to make it simple, what the Bible is telling us is like, yo, Jesus is God. The root of all theology, uh, all bad theology, is, is, a, is a misunderstanding of this reality, of this truth. It's trying to understand the Bible outside of the gospel. We're to read even the Old Testament through the lens of the New Testament. And not even the New Testament, of the four-sided, that's the four living creatures right there around the throne of God. It's like, it's like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We're supposed to see through the life of the Lord. And, actually, and it causes the rest of the entire word, Bible, to actually come alive for us. You dig? And so that's my intro, but I, I, I just wanted to read, and I tried not to read it very much because I was like, I think it would be nice for this to be fresh. I've done this so many times. I've read it a lot. But it's like, I think it would be nice to be fresh for us to just read John 5 with this mentality in mind. See, we're reading this. Even the disciples didn't know this stuff. You know what I mean? They thought they come to the reality that he's the Messiah, you know. But it's just like it says in 1 Corinthians 2, if the rulers of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. He was so stealth. How many times did he heal somebody or do something miraculous and say, no, no don't. And they, it would say he strictly would warn them and say, do not tell anybody that this happened, which they always would. You know, He was trying to stay under the radar, the spotless lamb, because he came for us. He wasn't trying to make his name greater, like, surprise, it's me. You know, Clark can't rip open the shirt. It's just like, he, he wanted, he wa it says that for the joy, that's Hebrews as well, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. It's like, what? He was so, think about that, like, think about being excited like a kid for Christmas. I can't wait. They're playing into my hand, and I can't wait to do this. To do what? Well, I despise the shame. I'm going to be stripped and beaten and tortured and all these things. But it's like, ah. You know, the warrior king says, it is finished. And we think like, oh, you know what I'm saying? It's like he's, he's saying, I got it. I got them all. Mm -hmm. He won. And he's our hero. But anyways, we're looking at, sorry, we're looking back at John 5. And we're going to watch his life. And now we're going to understand that this isn't a story about him, you know, uh, uh, just a rabbi or something. You know, even the son of God, he's just being obedient to, the, to his father, you know. Take these concepts out of our mind and actually understand that this is I am. This is, this is heaven, heaven's eternal king walking around amongst us. Okay? This is, yes, he's the lamb, but he's the lion. You know what I mean? He is, he's altogether God, the fullness of God. Like his half-brother said in James 1, he said, there, in him there's no variance or shadow or turning. Like God isn't bipolar. Another root, it's like, well, there's the savage side of God that's coming after us, but then there's the good, gentle side of God that kind of covers us. And it's like, man, that's a, that's a, it, the yin-yang symbol, it's a cool symbol or whatever, but it's just not our deal. That's not Christianity. It's not the way we think. It's bipolar. It's pagan. You know? And so this is God. John 5 is, is, is God walking around. I'll just, go, I'll just go into it. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which in Hebrew is called Bethesda, having five porches. So here's Jesus walking in 
at a festival time, the Lamb of God and also Yahweh himself. And now we're sitting back watching this play out like a movie. Let's take our minds into this like we've never heard this before. And we're watching him walk in, the Lamb of God walk through the sheep gate and nobody knows who he is. No comely appearance, he looks regular, <laughs> you know what I mean? And we're just watching this thing, man. And where these five porches are near, near, near Bethesda, it says there, there lays a great multitude of sick, sick people who are blind, lame, paralyzed, and they're waiting on the movement of the water. It says, for an angel used to go down at a certain time into the pool and stir up the water, and whoever stepped in first after stirring the water was made well of whatever disease he had. That's, uh, that's pretty wild, isn't it? There was a man who was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Wow, that's a long time to be crippled up with an infirmity. So you got, you got all these sick beds, hundreds of them, waiting around for water to be stirred because there was this rumor or this belief that an angel would come. They believed possibly this guy named Raphael, but that's just kind of old commentaries, would come and stir this water, and whoever got in first would actually be made better. You know, Now we have hospitals named after this place. And all that, you know. Um. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been in that condition for a long time, he said something to him that I, I feel, oh man, I feel is very profound for us today, and I forgot about this, and it's this Bible. But he says something that I think is so interesting. Your, your King James will say, do you want to be made well? Um, do you want to be made well? It's just like, well, yeah, dude, obviously I want to be made well, and there's something to our will. But I, I, I find this interesting in the Greek. This is what's called an, an aorist middle initiative that indicates something that's already accomplished. And um, it's strange because sometimes you hear the wording of the way Jesus talks, and you think that he has a problem with the way he speaks, but it says he saw him lying there, and he knew that he'd been crippled for a long time, and he said to him, do you truly long to be... It's, he basically says, are you willing to accept that you've been made, heal, made well? Like, it's a past tense type of thing. So I don't know if he just thinks this guy's from out of town, maybe he doesn't talk very well. Is it, is, are you willing to, to, come into agree, to come into agreement with the reality that you've been made well? It's just like, what? For one, why you talk so weird? But yeah, of course I want to be made well. You know what I mean? So, but but, but this, let's leave that in our minds, because I forgot about that, and it's, it's good that I didn't prepare well for this today. Maybe it's an excuse, but, but it's, let's leave that in our minds because it's like that, that aorist initiative, that, that past tense, are you willing to come into agreement with that, the reality that you have been made well? Um, that's, that's Christianity, but maybe we'll come to this. To this. Um, he, he says, do you want to, and the sick man answers to him, and he says, sir, I have no man to, to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. Every time I'm trying to get down there, when it's stirred up, somebody jumps over me, somebody comes before me. So he's still thinking in terms of like, I'm trying to get into this water when this angel comes and stirs it, you know, but it just never happens. It says, Jesus says to him, in other words, he responds to him without acknowledging what he just said. He says, rise, take up your bed and start walking. It said, immediately the man was made well and he took up his bed and walked and that day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said to him who was cured, hey dude, it's the Sabbath. It's not, long for, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed around. I have ha-ha written in my Bible next to that. Because it's like, you see a guy that's been there for 38 years. Surely you recognize him. He's always there. You know what I mean? 
And instead of being like, whoa, whoa, how's this happening? It's like, rule breaker. <laughs> Put your bed down, lay back on it. If you're better, that's fine. You can get up and walk tomorrow. <laughs> How foolish. You know, they are so locked into that tree. They ate the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the poison of the fall, which came through this, what was right, what was wrong, what was rules. Like they had, their heart was, was completely stoned. They couldn't be like, oh my gosh, look at you, man. What, what? are you kidding me? You've been there forever. You, you know, it, it was none of this. It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to. You know what his excuse was? He says, the guy who made me well said, take up your bed and walk. That's verse 11. It's like, what guy? Just a guy. You know? This is bad ministry. If you're Jesus, man, you got to give him your name. Give him your card. Tell him where your church is at. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I was like, dude, you should have made a thing about this. This could really cause you to get some... You know, it's like, oh, you know, that's, that's, that's religious, you know, that's the gross side of ministry. Jesus did this for this guy because he had love and compassion for him. It wasn't for him, it was for the guy. Yeah. Imagine if we, yeah, freely receive, freely give. Imagine if we had this mentality, even in ministry, to where, oh, this isn't about building our thing. It's about building and helping people, whether they ever have a single thing that they can contribute to it or not. It would, probably, it would be a lot like uh, heaven and Jesus, I guess. But, uh, so they ask him, like, who, well, who's the man that said, take up your bed and walk? It says in verse 13, I love this, but the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. In other words, he wasn't trying to come out right then. It's like he just did this because that's how he is. Good thing it wasn't the father, because he's a lot more judgmental and harsh. But the, bi the, the good bipolar side is nice. He does nice things. The father probably struck him down there. In our, in, you know, that's the type, that's the way th people think. I don't think this. I, if you're new enough not to know that that was quite sarcastic, that was, that's what that was. It says afterwards, in verse 14, Jesus actually shows up to talk to the guy. He finds him in the temple. And that word, in New King James says, see, they, they do kind of, it's kind of boring, but, but in, in verse 14, Jesus finds him in the temple and he goes, look at you. I love that. Like, he sh this dude's like shriveled up for 38 years. I had a cast on my foot, I remember a long time ago, 20 years ago. And my calf muscle looked like a dang, my wrist from my knee all the way down. It was like a peg leg, you know what I mean? Like, what do you think this guy's body looked like? And now he's popped up walking and he's okay. You know, his body was shriveling. He was in bad shape. And from what Jesus says, it was, it was from some sinful acts that he engaged in that caused his body to be in this condition. Um, so he finds him and he says, look at you. I love that. I can just picture him in a temple in a crowded place during a festival weekend. So there's a lot of people there and just bumping into the guy. And the guy looking at him and he's like, look at you. Look at you. Standing now. Walking around now. He says, sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. It's like, hey, like, don't go back to what got you in that position. You know? It's interesting. See, the knowledge of good and evil, 
the poison of religion, we'd be like, well, the wages of sin is death. He, can, he, he was in some stuff. If he wants to come clean and repent and own that kind of stuff, maybe we'll, you know, maybe, maybe I'll consider talking to you or praying for you. You know what I'm saying? But Jesus, that means Jesus knew while he was in that condition. He doesn't even touch that. His love actually reaches out and touches the guy. He's not the accuser. Yeah. John 16 has been so perverted. People believe the Holy Spirit's been given to convict of sin. And that is not at all what that says. He will reprove the world of sin. He will change their mind of it because of their unbelief. And not even the believers. He will reprove the world of sin because of their unbelief. He will empower you in such a way that you will change their mind. You, have a, they will, you will be able to change people's minds and understand the ruler of this world is judged. It's just like we're called to walk and give life and Jesus is demonstrating it. And I'll get to it because he ends up saying this verbatim. And I know, I know that sometimes when you hear these things for the first time, your mind, the mind just goes, wait a second, well, I've been taught this. Well, you know, all that war, but that war is good. It is the purging of poison. If you listen to this podcast, it is the purging of the poison. It is, it is the, the lies that have been shed about who God truly is. And like search those things out in the scriptures. And it unlocks your mind. Then you act and live like him. Jesus found him said, look, see, Look at you. Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus. <laughs> hey, by the way, I know his name now. Tell them, yeah, it was Jesus. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and decided they wanted to kill him. Because, because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Imagine that. 38 years. Like, wow, it's not even like, that's amazing. The heart was so hard. Like, he did what? But he did it on the Sabbath? Yeah, we're going to kill him. We're going to kill him for that. It's like, wow, man. But Jesus responds to them as they're persecuting him, accosting him. He says, my father's been working till now, and, and I've been working. Oh, man, here we come. Here we come, folks. It says, therefore, the Jews sought to kill him all the more because he not only broke the Sabbath, but now he was actually saying that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Not little g. This is John writing this in verse 18. He makes himself equal with God. Pros. Uh, in the beginning of the word, the word is with God, and the word wasn't. He was face to face with God. Hebrews 1. He is the exact mirror reflection, reflective image. Like you ever stand in front of a mirror and try to move yourself? It's like even the movements are the same. Everything is the same. Jesus answers and said, Most assuredly I say to you, this is for us. The Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. You guys claim to represent the Father, the judgment, all these rules. But I actually see the Father do what I do. I am the exact representation or reflection of what He acts like. Verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does, and He will show Him greater works than these that you may marvel. How's that? Well, listen to that right there, dude. Think about Jesus talking to Philip and the disciples and Him saying, hey, if you've seen Me, you've seen the Father. Amen. Think about the Lord's Prayer, our Father in Heaven, Abba, all these things that Jesus comes and teaches us who God is like and that he's our dad, but it's like 
on top of that, these words echo through 2,000 years later and echoed, you know, a couple year, a year later to the disciples, to two years later, after he was crucified, like, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Father shows him these things, and the Son can't do anything but what he sees the Father doing. So everything you've seen in my life, you've seen your Father doing. And this unlocks you. You don't have to go into the corner and pray when you make certain decisions concerning giving life to people. You've seen him live this way. You know him. You know. Verse 21. This is where it's going to get saucy, I think. I have a feeling about this. He will show you greater works than these. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one but has committed all judgment to the Son. That all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father. It's very interesting. You talk about blasphemy. He took the blasphemy up a couple notches right there. Like, you should honor and respect and revere me as much as you revere the God you claim to follow. That's like, grab the rocks. Let's hit him. He's a, it's official. That's the worst thing you can say. You know what I mean? But, but, but look back at it. Verse 21. For as the Father raises the dead. It's like, what? And he gives life to them. Even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment. Hey, listen. Here's a bipolar image of God that we as Christians largely believe is coming down the pipes for the world. Judgment. Armageddon. Armageddon. If you listen to reggae music. Armageddon. You know, whatever. It's just, it's like, but these letters are in red coming from I am himself and he's, he's telling these guys, you have been poisoned through the knowledge of judgment. The knowledge of good and evil which gives you the power to be the judges of people. But I'm here to tell you that I do everything that I see the Father doing. And the Father doesn't do it like this. He doesn't judge anybody. Not only that, he judges no one, but he's committed all the judgment to me, the Son. I have the right to judge. But I only do what I see him doing, and he gives life to people. He raises the dead. So guess what? My judgment on this cripple was life and to raise him up from the ground. He was, he was defending what he did with this crippled man, with this guy that was in infirmity, that was stuck on the ground, that was all cracked out, whatever, 38 years in a row. Them, them coming to judge him for breaking a rule. And he's, and he's saying, I am the judge. And I decreed this man to be worthy of, of life. I, my judgment for him was let there be light. And we even know that he got there by doing stuff that were considered sins. And so even this man was actually what we consider he had become or taken on the image of being a sinner and got him into the place where he was. And Jesus is coming with a complete and total contradiction of this religious mentality and this grid as I am, as Yahweh in the flesh, doing Yahweh things as a human being because he was him. 
And he's defending these guys and says, hey, like, like, I actually made judgment here and my judgment let there be life and that's the Father's judgment. You have him completely and totally all wrong. He, he raises the dead. The, the Father gives life to, and, he's, and he's given judgment into the Son and guess what? The Son's come into the world. I didn't come to judge it but to save it, to condemn it, but to save it is what he said in, in, in uh, John 3, you know, two chapters back. He's saying the exact same thing. You think about what he said in John 3. I, um, it was talking to Nicodemus but, but he said, this is the judgment. This is the condemnation. John three nineteen. It says that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It's like, what? This is the condemnation. That God says, guilty? It's like, no. That God came and he said, let there be light. Divided light from the darkness. And they had the same experience as they did in Genesis which was this thing that we call free will and they could choose so what's the judgment is it from God or is it the free will to choose no it sounds like at least from these words that are in red which means Jesus said them that the condemnation was choice that people make to walk away from light because they love their darkness And it goes back, to, yeah, thing, yeah. And it goes back to him saying, like, are you willing to come into agreement with the reality that you're made well? Yeah. And it's just like, I don't know what you just said to me, but I need somebody to pick me up and carry me down there. Are, are you the guy? You know what I mean? Like that didn't make sense, but get up. In other words, light. Let there be light. I'm not going to speak to your you know I'm not going to speak to your confusion. I'm not, he didn't he didn't be like hey if I let you up will you promise you won't do that stuff again? Hey, will you repent and uh, from doing the stuff that got you there? Say it, say it again. Okay, get up. You know what I mean? No, no, that's 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 what that's that's still the same tree of knowledge of good and evil. It's the same thing. This thing is being un, unwound from our brain. But the whole Bible does this, guys. And the beauty is, when you start to see these things, you start to see everything different. You start to see every story different. You even start to see the Old Testament different. Yeah. You see the entire thing differently. And it all begins to make sense. And when you have questions that like, ah, that, that still seems like the bipolar Godhead. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is not, Father, forgive them on the cross. Like, don't let out the wrath on them. You know what I mean? Don't strike them. He told his disciples in John 14, he says, the ruler of this world is coming. He has nothing in me. I'm nothing like him. I have none of the, the steal and kill and destroy. All these passages where he was giving these distinctions. This is what the good shepherd's like. This is what the thief is like. It all comes to mind in the disciples and they become what we're becoming. Like the Lord. You know what I mean? He has nothing in me, he says. The ruler of the world, he has nothing in me. There's nothing he will do to me that will cause me to strike you. To strike mankind. No matter how bad it gets, I will not pour out wrath on you. I will pour out, I will, I will ex the wrath of God is against the ungodliness of men. That's another bad translation. Not, on the, not all the ungodless men. 
die suckers, you know what I mean? It's like all the ungodliness. Everything that held us back from actually truly connecting to him, from truly walking as his imagers, his sons and daughters, he poured his love out and he demonstrated that reality. I will not strike them. And all the wrath against ungodliness of sin came upon him and he buried it a couple thousand years back. And this is, this is the story of Bethesda. This is the story of this guy. And it's true. It's, there's so many people. Oh, man. We were at a, um, the, it was like a little birthday party yesterday. And somebody asked Nicole, like, what kind of church? They're like, it's like a charismatic church. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, well, I mean, but I fully and totally understand that, man. I fully understand that question because on that side of the tracks, things get really strange and weird and just straight non-biblical. You know what I mean? It's just the way it works on the spirit-filled side of the tracks. But I'm, honestly, there's an extreme on both sides. There's the side, you know, God doesn't speak, and we can all just be mean and judgmental. Shoot, we can tell the girls not to get haircuts if we want. You know, we can, we can really take some real legalism. But there's, there's another side of the spirit-filled track where we can be the same way as them. We can be so faky and flighty that we never take ownership of our actual lives practically, and we don't bear fruit in this real life. Yeah. But as long as both sides still believe... Well, the judgment's still coming, you know what I mean? We're all just going to go to the buffet when we die, so let's just hot, you know, hold out, and some people think there's a rapture going to bail them out or whatever all that is. You know, There's all these things that have been cooked up into all this theology that keep people from living in the here and now and manifesting heaven on earth. And there's a lot of people who, who man, even on our side of the track, yeah, we're charismatic with the gifts of the Spirit, yeah, the visitation, dreams, visions, all the things of the Bible, absolutely, you know what I'm saying? As long as it's grounded in the Bible, but it's... It, that, that are waiting or walking through life not whole and we've accepted that we're in this state that we're in. And the only hope is like, well, God, gonna, a visitation, you know, an outpouring, some, you know, come stir the waters for me, you know, God, come and do something. And, and, and there's a lot of people on our side of the tracks and I say that as a charismatic person, I hate to call myself that, but it is what I am. Um, kind of a Baptocostal-ish kind of guy. But it's like, there's a, we're waiting for God to do something that happened a couple thousand years back. We need a revival. We need to live the gospel. But we need a great outpouring. Acts 2, man. You know, it was prophesied, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Sons and daughters will prophesy. The old men dream dreams, young men vision. Like the connection, the communication, the fulfillment of walking in true Christianity. This is going to happen, and it actually did happen. And we can accept that it did past tense happen and walk it out. Or we can be victims and just, well, God just has me in this position. I don't really know why. Maybe he'll come... Send some some break. I need a breakthrough. There's a good, another catch word. I need a Christian breakthrough to come stir up my waters. You know, I don't know. We can we can have this mentality, but Jesus walks into even that scene. You want to come into agreement with what I've actually already done, and it's like, I do. Teach me how to do this. Yes. Yeah, yes. it's a mindset change. That's what repentance means. It just means a change of mind and walk a different direction. It's like there's actually ownership. There's no victims in this life. In the Christian life, there is no victims in it. You know, no way, absolutely not. Actually, it says we are actually more than conquerors. That's the, that's like taking no victims to like a whole nother extreme. People think I'm extreme. That's a whole nother level of extreme. All things work for the good. It's like wow, that's another that's another pretty hot extreme right there. 
So you're telling me when the Apostle Paul is saying things in 1 Corinthians 11 about like take communion, like understanding what Jesus has done, what is bread actually is his body that was broken, the, the wine, the new covenant, the, the erasing of everything that come in through the fall. When he's talking about those things and he says people do this without reverence and because of this they are sick, they're weak, and they fall asleep early, they die early. He wasn't talking about, you know, better pray and if you do communion, you might die. You know what I mean? That's just like, what? No, he's saying like, hey, this ritual is a symbol of something that is, if it's in the forefront of your mind, what Jesus paid for and walked in, we take ownership of that reality. We take every thought captive that exalts itself ab above this truth and we choose to practically walk it out in our life until it becomes our full and complete and total reality. And that's kind of what, that's kind of what's going on there. I love, man, I could do John 5 all day. Don't worry, I am closing. I'm not going to do that. But the way I received this was actually by revelation. So I'm not against that. That's how I actually received it. Because I never fully understood it. And, um, but man, Jesus coming and manifesting the reality, the, the union of what we have come to call the Godhead. Like there being no variance between Father, Son. Like there's not a there's not a one wants this, one wants this, so you know the Holy Spirit's the three way tie, and luckily it fell to us not getting zapped. You know what I mean? It's like it's just it's so backwards. Um, but the Bible dismantles it when you're when you can read it with an open mind given to the Spirit. You know the when they'd go into the tabernacle, the priests of the tabernacle, they'd have to eat the showbread, but the only light that was in there was the menorah that was lit by them. You know what I mean? The only, it's like there's something about eating the Word of God. It's like the Holy Spirit illuminates this thing. And if, you, if you're simple and have eyes to see, like you'll see Him as He truly is. I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. I don't, have to, I don't mind telling you. It's just like this is written and laid out very clearly for us all. And the more we see Him as He truly is, we reflect Him. And it's a beautiful time because, man, it's the world, when things shake, what, how, how valid it is or not, you know, sicknesses or all the things that are happening like they are right now, and people are in a scared place, uh, it always goes back to, it's like Ecclesiastes 3 says, eternity is in the heart of all men, even unbelievers, it goes back to like there's something more, but, there, but there's also the very, the very seeds of the fall, the poison that came in and touched every human being was this bipolar mentality where the accuser comes and he acts like God's holding something back. And he sheds doubt on the identity of God. He's been doing it forever. And now he continues and totally does it. And a lot of times he does it from the microphone inside of our churches. Oh, they're getting fired up. I better close quick. <laughs> but, but the thing about it is, Jesus dis dismantles that. And seeing him as he is causes us to walk with a confidence that is so attractive to the world. I'll say in these times, but at any time, we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. It's not a scripture about debating. That's not, oh, it's apologetics. Let's take a class about it. Let's not. Let's, let's walk in such complete and total wholeness that we don't even, if we're not walking in wholeness, if we're dealing with pain in our heart, depressions, or, or, or in, you know, whatever it could be, we're not accepting that as our state. We're actually connecting to him in it and gaining the understanding of what it looks like to truly walk with Him and being the embodiment of people who are whole. Who are whole, that walk around in this life 
fully whole and secure in that relationship to Abba. Abba and Beloved. The relationship that we've been placed on the inside of. Like the Apostle John who wrote this, he forgot his name, in a sense. He called himself the Beloved of God. You know what I mean? That became his identity. That can become our identity, but only when we, when we ditch the bipolar version that Satan has tried to twist the scriptures into. When we see him as good, God is love. We embody that reality. And there's a peace and a solidness that we walk around in this world that the world is looking for. And instead of passing out the track, says you're going to go to hell if you don't join my club because God is love, but he will throw you a butt in hell. <laughs> well, for what? Because I never knew about him? Like, yeah, but he's love. Instead of doing that, right, maybe we... We could walk in such wholeness and hope and joy, the fruit of the kingdom, that we have to actually be ready to give, a, to give an, a, an account of why we're so hopeful. You know what I mean? Why we have peace, why we're looking forward to the future, you know, with hope and excitement. Because we're walking it with the Lord. Yeah. So Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that your word is fully true. I ask that your Bible would continue to come, to come alive to us all. Everybody that's under the sound, even in my voice, to see you as you truly are. And just, even as it says, Isaiah 28, like that, you, you, that the hail would come and sweep away the refuge of lies. All the misconceptions that the enemy has sown into your field to try to actually choke out the word of life, to try to actually pervert your image that your image would start to shine brighter and brighter and it would through us and through our lives. Not just our words, but our actual life. We would make disciples your way because they want what we've got. I'm done. <laughs>